I want to start today morning's message by first of all thanking all the pastors, the media team, the worship team. Everybody is working remotely from their homes to bring us this service and they're doing a fabulous job. I mean, last week was good. This week, everybody worked and I really want to thank the entire team for bringing us this service. There are so many things that we missed during this lockdown. Here are a few. Meeting with friends and extended family, going to the mall, going out for a meal, going on a vacation. We miss shaking hands or even hugging close acquaintances. We miss playing sport or going to the gym. Some of us miss going to the beauty parlor. Children miss going to school. Well, not sure if that's true about most kids. And for some weird reason, we started missing work too. Overall, we miss freedom. But more than any of these things, if I may say, I miss church. I cannot wait for us to come back together and worship God as a, as a, as a, as a body of Christ coming together as one family and worshiping God. I cannot wait for our next service when we can all come together. This Palm Sunday is a very peculiar one, I understand. Uh, growing up uh, in, in, in the church that I grew up, we used to hold branches and walk on the streets. Uh, we used to do a lot of things during Palm Sunday. And even, even in our church, and I remember uh, if we didn't have branches, we would ask you to raise the bulletin or uh, raise the dupattas and worship. But today, it's, it's a peculiar situation around the world. Uh, but uh, last Palm Sunday was also very peculiar for us, uh, for our family. Uh, my wife, Sweetie, was going into labor and it was on Palm Sunday. And uh, we were at the hospital and uh, she, t she told me, if we're going to have a baby, I'm going to name her Hosanna. And uh, uh, she, she was in labor through, through the whole day. And then uh, our baby was born just 30 seconds after Palm Sunday into the next day. And I looked at her after the baby came and I said, so you're not going to be naming her Hosanna. And she said, no, 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 I want to name her Hosanna. And, and surely we did uh, call her Hosanna. God gave us our second child after eight years of prayer. And uh, he did a miracle on Palm Sunday. Uh, we named her Hosanna, but we didn't know what was coming our way. Uh, Hosanna uh, was unlike our first child. Our first child was called Selah. And uh, she was, she, I remember her being a very quiet baby. You know, she slept through the night. Uh, she let us rest and uh, anywhere you put Selah, she would remain in the spot. She wouldn't go around anywhere. But Hosanna was the opposite of that. I mean, she does not sleep through the night, even today. Uh, some days, me and Sweetie, we wake up in the morning and we look like zombies because we haven't slept in the night. And, and, and you put her in a place and she is so active and so full of energy. And I remember Pastor Eunice coming home one of those days and he said, he told me this, you should be careful what you name your child because you name the first one Selah and she's very quiet, very calm, just like the word Selah, meditate. 
And then you name the second one, Hosanna, where she's so exuberant and so full of energy. So you better be careful what you name your children. I, I like some of these names. I, I, let me suggest a name for you. You should call them Shanti or something and, and, and not call them uh, something with a meaning, exuberance or loud. I, I've learned that the hard way. <laughs> anyway, uh, this Palm Sunday is, is, is different. And some of us are going through a difficult time. But I want to be, I want you to be excited because I'm excited that God has a word for you. Wherever you're sitting, whether it's in your room or, or, or if you're in, on your terrace, I don't know where you are, but I want you to experience God's touch right where you are. We had a beautiful time of worship and now I want you to sit with a receptive heart. Uh, we've heard the story about Jesus walking into Jerusalem many times before. It's called the triumphant entry. And we've heard uh, different preachers talk about it. And today I'm going to talk from the, uh, from the description of the triumphant entry from the book of Matthew. It's mentioned in all four gospels, but I'm going to focus on uh, Matthew's version of this. You know, the, uh, this was when Jesus Usually, Jesus uh, did not appreciate people calling him king. He was not, he was not somebody who, who wanted people to praise him and talk about him. But this one time, he let them uh, actually welcome him as king. And the story goes this way. You know it, but let me just quickly talk about him. He, he enters Jerusalem on a donkey. And he, he goes... He goes through the crowds of people and there are people all around they're excited they are they are shouting hosanna blessed is he who comes in the name of the lord and all this is happening and they are just celebrating jesus as he walks into into jerusalem and and some people took their coats off they laid it on the uh, on the donkey some people laid it on the roads i mean there's there's celebration everywhere and that's why we call it the triumphant entry and today I wanted to title my message, A King Like No Other, but I thought, let me personalize it a little more. And I've, I've titled my message, My King. I'm going to talk about four characteristics of Jesus, four specialities of this King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And these four things are not just specialities about Jesus, but these four things will will affect the way that you and I live our life every day. And I believe this will be a blessing. The first thing that is special about my king is he is the victorious king. Most of the people present that day were either direct witnesses or had heard about Jesus' miracles. Even, even the raising, uh, raising of Lazarus from the dead, from, from the dead, they had witnessed this. They heard about it. They knew that there was something different about this man. He was not ordinary. He was doing extraordinary things. And they were hoping that he would overthrow the Roman Empire. Take away all the bondage and the difficulties that they were going through. And that he would overthrow him. Well, they were right in a way, because he was capable of overthrowing the Roman Empire. No empire can stand in front of this mighty king. They were right about his powers. But what they were wrong 
was they did not understand the purpose of this king. He was not here to fight against some empire. He was here to defeat a very different enemy. And I want to read a few verses and you will understand this. Hebrews 2.14 says, So that through death he might destroy the one who has power of death. That is the devil. 1 John 3.8 says, For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the enemy. The reason Jesus came was to destroy the works of the enemy. And boy did he, he completely annihilated it. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 55 to 57 says, Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We've heard this phrase before many times. The battle belongs to the Lord, but the victory is ours. Well, it is literal. We don't have to fight the battle. Our king has already won the battle. You know, last week I called my grandma. Uh, she's in a remote village in Kerala and she's 96 years old. And she was, she was telling me she's never in all her years, never been in a situation like she is right now. I mean, she, she has lived through World War II. She's lived through the, uh, through the independence struggle, the partition. I mean, she, she grew up in a remote part of Kerala, but she did hear about all this. And, 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 uh, uh, there's one thing that people of that generation, they say, when they talk about wars, they say that we beat the Chinese, we beat Pakistan, or, or you know, we won the world war. The truth is they did not even lift a weapon. They didn't even go into the battle. They were sitting comfortably in their homes and hoping that somebody would go out there and beat the enemy. And guess what? That's exactly what Jesus did for us. We don't have to even lift the weapon. The battle is already fought. All we have to do is enjoy the victory. We need to start walking in victory because we are on the winning side. Our king is a victorious king. There's a song by Graham Kendrick and we used to sing this before. It says, over sin, he has conquered. Hallelujah, he has conquered. Over death, victorious. Hallelujah, victorious. Over sickness, he has triumphed. Hallelujah, he's triumphed. Jesus reigns over all. Our king is the victorious king. The second thing I want to talk about our king is he is the holy king. Now, usually a word that is not associated with kings and rulers is the word holy. Because most kings and rulers, they are, they are, they are very selfish. Power corrupts their mind. They start doing things that hurt people and that uh, they start getting, uh, they start indulging in, in things that are sinful because of the power that they have. And nobody is going to question them. But our Jesus is a holy king. And I want to talk about, talk a little bit about something I learned in my study. And when you read uh, Matthew's version of the triumphant entry, uh, it's, um, if you can open your Bibles wherever you are to Matthew 21, and it's in the first few verses. Matthew talks about uh, Jesus entering Jerusalem on, uh, on a 
donkey and a colt. There are two animals mentioned in my, I think he went a little bit in detail. But all the, all the four gospels are consistent in calling the animal a colt. And there was something special about the colt. The colt was never ridden upon. Nobody had sat on the colt before. Now, why is that important? I believe that every detail in the Bible, there is a significance. And even this, I believe there is a significance. First, I'm going to say why the donkey is of any significant significance. The donkey symbolizes the royalty of Jesus. Now, I know many of you are thinking, uh, how can a donkey depict royalty? Uh, let me explain. Unlike modern uh, times, the donkey was considered as an animal of the rich. If you, if you look at the Old Testament, Abraham's wealth, uh, when, when, when it's described, the number of donkeys are mentioned that he owned. Uh, and so it's also mentioned about Jacob's wealth and Job's wealth. And, and if you look at 1 Kings 1.33, you see that Solomon, uh, during his coronation, rode a mule, uh, a mule to his coronation. So it was important for Jesus to ride a donkey because uh, it, it depicted the royalty of Jesus. It depicted the royalty of Jesus, but it was not like he was going to ride a horse because if he came on a horse, then he would he would show his high-handedness and his authority. And usually when a king rides a horse, it's, it's, it shows that he's not really coming in peace. But Jesus came in a, in a donkey, riding on a donkey. And he was showing how humble he was and that he was not here to make war or to declare war, but he was here in peace. The never-ridden cold symbolizes Jesus' sanctity. Now, all through the Old Testament, if you see that uh, whenever something was used for the Lord or for something sacred, it was always fresh. It was always new. It was always never new. It was, it was like opening a new package. And this was the same thing about the colt. In fact, it was never written that it didn't even have a saddle on it where, where you sit on. People had to put their cloaks and their garments on the colt so that Jesus could sit on it. Why is this important? Because our king was a holy king, is a holy king. Jesus riding this coal symbolized his sanctity as our high priest without spot and blemish. We often hear about Jesus in the kingly line of David, but he not only had a royal lineage, but he also had a priestly heritage. You know, Hebrews talks about Jesus being in the order of Melchizedek. Jesus was both king and priest. Why was this important? The Bible says that in order to pay for the sins of the world, Jesus had to enter God's presence as a high priest with his own blood as a propitiation for us. Jesus was able to do it because he was a high priest. He was going to the holy place, the most holy place with his own blood. I want us to, um, sometimes, sometime when you have uh, a little time, if you can open uh, Revelation chapter 5 and go through the scene in heaven. You know, this is a vision that John had. 
and it talks about uh, a triumphant entry in heaven. And you can compare both the triumphant entry, the earthly and the heavenly one. And it talks about how uh, there was a, there was a, uh, on the right hand of him who sat on the throne, there, there was a scroll in his hand, a written scroll, and, and there was a seal. And, and the Bible says that no one was able to open it. And, and, and John started weeping and he started worrying about who's going to open this scroll. And then, and then the Bible talks about this lamb suddenly appears and he takes the scroll. He opens it and he, he, is, he is received in such great jubilation by all the elders and the angels. They are not shouting Hosanna, but they are shouting worthy is the lamb. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. There is celebration happening all over heaven because this lamb was able to take the sins of the earth, sins of the world. Why did Jesus do this? So that you and I can be presented blameless before the Father. 1 Peter 2.9 says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. The royal priest has made us royal priesthood. A holy nation. My friends, it is finished. Jesus took our place. His robe was torn and split and spat upon so that we might receive a robe of righteousness. He wore the crown of thorns on his head. He endured that pain so that we might receive the crown of life. He became a curse for us on that tree so that we might be blessed and we might be a blessing. My friends, there was an exchange on the cross and we received, we were, we were beneficiaries of that exchange in spite of not being there in, that, in person. Today we are enjoying everything that we received through that exchange. Thank you, Lord, that through your sacrifice, I was made righteous. All of us are made righteous. The third thing, my king is a soon coming king. Among many other incidents in Jesus' life, the triumphant entry was also a fulfillment of multiple prophecies. You know, for example, Zechariah 9 and 9 says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. He has fulfilled all prophecies regarding his birth, his life, his death, and his resurrection. And you know what? He's going to fulfill every prophecy about his coming. The coming of the Lord is not something we should dread. As his children, I think, I think we should anticipate it. You know, even, even the ten virgins were eagerly waiting for his return. The truth is only five of them were ready, but they were eagerly waiting. You know, uh, and as sometimes when I visit Kerala in the, in the Malayalam churches, uh, right at the end of service, they say something like this. They say, uh, come Lord Jesus, come soon. Is that your desire today? You know, the great evangelists are the only ones who didn't want Jesus to come. You know why? 
not because they were not ready, but because they wanted the entire world to be saved. That is the only reason we should ever long for a delay in his coming. Because we are his bride and his bride anticipates his coming. If you are in love with Jesus, you should not, you should not fear his coming. You know, uh, I, rem I remember the time when uh, me and sweetie, we were engaged to be married. And there was a nine month gap between the engagement and the actual wedding. And boy, those nine months were like a thousand years. It was not easy for us because we wanted to be with each other. We loved each other. So we wanted to be with each other. That is the same thing with us right now. We are in love with Jesus. Many times our salvation is compared to the engagement because one day we're going to be in the marriage of the, of the Lamb, in the marriage supper of the Lamb. It's going to be you and me as the bride of Jesus. If you are in love with Jesus, my friends, I want you to anticipate his return. I want you to long for his return. My king is coming. You know, I'm going to quote uh, Pastor Wilson a uh, couple of weeks back. At the end of his sermon, he sang the song, The King is Coming. The chorus goes this way, the king is coming, the king is coming. I just heard the trumpet sound. I know that he's coming for me. My king is coming for me. Let our lives be filled with hope and faith, not with fear and unbelief. We don't have to live in fear. We can live in hope and anticipation that one day we are going to be with the one we love. Finally, our king is the everlasting king. I'm going to read a few verses. Psalm 145, 13 says, Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is trustworthy in all the promises and faithful in all he does. Isaiah 9, 7 says, we all know this verse. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. It is very important for us to know this. Things around us may change. People may change, situations may change, the governments may change, rules may change, but there is one thing who one one thing that is constant, and that is our king. He is an everlasting king. His kingdom cannot be stopped. Kings and kingdoms have tried to stop him. Emperors have tried to stop the expansion of his kingdom. Governments have tried to put an end to it. But guess what? Our Jesus is an everlasting king. And his kingdom is going to expand and nothing can stop it. Nothing. When you pray for a situation like what we are in right now, it's very easy for us to look at the news and, and look at the things around the world and feel a little depressed and discouraged because what we are seeing in our physical is death and sickness and, and disease, all these things we are seeing in, in our spiritual eyes. But I want you to, I want to encourage you to start seeing this with the, with the spiritual eyes. Like the Bible says that the earth will be filled with the glory of God. Can we imagine the world filled with the glory of God? When you pray for the situation in the world, I want you to declare like Jesus taught us in the prayer, let 
let your kingdom come on earth as in heaven. Let's just make that our prayer because we don't serve a king who is shaken by the situations and, and the concerns of the world. We serve a king whose throne is established forever. Nothing is going to take him off the throne. I'm going to quote Pastor Wilson again. He said, God is in absolute control of whatever is going on around the world. My friends, let me encourage you. We are children of this eternal king. I want us to uh, look at this video that uh, the team is going to play right after this and I will come right after this video. The Bible says my king is the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder do you know him? My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleans the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captive. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he beautifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's a key to knowledge. He's a well-framed of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace. He's a roadway of righteousness. He's a highway of holiness. He's a gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, his life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. And his yoke is easy. And his burden is light. I wish I could describe him to you. He's indescribable. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. Well, you can't get him out of your mind. You can't, you can't get him off of your head. You can't outlive him, and you can't live without him. Well, the Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. Terror couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him, and the grave couldn't hold him.
That's my king. That's our king. We don't serve somebody who is limited to time and space. We don't serve somebody who is whose hands are tied. We serve a God of the infinite. We serve a God who is omnipotent, omnipresent, all-powerful. Take a moment to let that sink into you. No matter what situation around us, if we can just gaze upon this King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, then we will not be shaken. My King, my King, my King is the victorious King. My King is a holy King. My King is a soon coming King. And my King is an everlasting King. Thank you Lord for this honor. Thank you, Lord, that no matter what the situation is around us, we can put our trust on you and we can live our lives with faith, with hope. Because our, our hope and our, our trust is not on something that changes. It's on something that remains forever. We thank you, Lord, that your love endures forever. We thank you, Lord, that your goodness lasts through generation, for a thousand generations, you promised to bless us. And today, oh God, I pray that every person listening to this message, I pray that you will visit them, oh God, that you will speak to them, oh Father, that we will not live lives, defeated lives, but we live victorious lives. We thank you, Lord Jesus. I pray for those who are going through a difficult time in their personal lives. I pray, oh God, that, 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 that they will receive a new touch from you right in their living room today, oh God. And I pray for those who are struggling in finances and those who are going through a difficult time uh, in their family lives or, or with relationships or with sickness. I pray, oh God, that your presence, the, the majesty of your presence will fill their room and fill their hearts and will transform their lives, oh God. Thank you for speaking to us, O oh God. And thank you, Lord, that our hope and our trust is in you. And those who look to you will not be shaken, will not be ashamed, but their faces will be radiant. Thank you, Father. Thank you for your presence. In Jesus' name, Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.